Welcome to the MSEC Podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. My name is Susan Sellers, and I'll be your host for today. Today's podcast has been made possible thanks to the generous support from the Kiesler Spouses Club. This week, we are chatting with Dr. Ruth Van Recken about third culture kids, or also known as TCKs. These children are those that accompany parents into another culture. While the parents may come from one culture or country, when they move, it's to another culture or country. Even within the United States, we have many different cultures from the South to the North, East and West. Believe it or not, the military is also considered its own culture. When we're moving between these cultures, there comes lots of different benefits and, well, also challenges, such as struggling with one's identity. Dr. Van Recken discusses when military children can understand their story, they can connect on a global scale. Let's take a listen. This is Susan Sellers, and I am at the MSEC Global Summit. I am so excited. We've had so many fantastic sessions. Today, joining me for this podcast, I actually have not one, but two guests. We have Ashley Schlicht who is the MSEC State Coordinator for South Carolina. And then we also have joining us Dr. Ruth Van Recken, who is an international speaker on third culture kids. So what I thought I would do first is I would love to chat with Ashley just a little bit about her job. It's a little bit new to the MSEC family. And so we have had a chance to showcase this position on the podcast. So I'm totally taking advantage of her being here at the conference. So, Ashley, thank you so much for coming in to chat with me today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And um, as you mentioned, I'm a recent hire for MSEC, and I really just have felt like I have found my home. And MDS has just reconfirmed that, getting to, to meet everyone in person. Well, we're really excited to have you join the MSEC family. And I would love for you to share a little bit more about your role that you're going to be taking on in South Carolina. Okay. Well, I think first I'll just I'll let you know a little about me, just my background. So I'm a proud uh, University of South Carolina alum. Um, I'm a social worker um, and an advocate for veterans and military kids. And um, I'm the parent of three girls, ages two, six, and ten. They're a part of my husband and I, Rob. We have a beautiful blended family. Uh, we co-parent with an active duty military dad and his wife. Our oldest daughter is actually preparing for her seventh move. We are relocating in the next 30 days to be closer to her dad, who is stationed at Fort Benning while he finishes out his military career. I was an active duty spouse for about um, just shy of a decade, and we experienced multiple deployments, multiple training rotations, more than 10 moves myself. I'm also the caregiver for an adult sibling with some severe developmental disabilities. So that's just another added layer into my identity. As I said, you know, my family is preparing for that seventh move uh, for my daughter. And this is just such a great experience to be at MGS and talking about highly mobile kids, you know, mill kids as we are kind of going through this experience ourselves. So I feel like this job is also just makes me a better mom. It makes me a better support person. It makes me a better co-parent. So saying that I found my home with MSEC, 
I truly am passionate about advocating for military kids and veterans specifically because there is such a loss of identity when you PCS or move or disconnection. And then also once you transition out of the service. So my job is I'm a state coordinator for South Carolina. And what I do is I create networking inroads and I foster support from key stakeholders and legislators, school districts, business and civic leaders, and just other influencers that can benefit from military connected youth. I advise them on best practices, um, provide support and resources for milk kids. And then I have an amazing group of community coordinators, which is another position that's new to MSEC that work under me. And they are those boots on the ground. They are the ones that are kind of assigned to those high population military installation areas and in the schools and working with the professionals and training and supporting the parents and the students. That sounds like a wonderful opportunity to connect our military kids, our military families across the state of South Carolina. And in addition to your role at MSEC, you've also had the privilege of spending some time with Dr. Van Rieken uh, this week at the Global Summit. And she's here to talk about the concept of third culture kids and how it relates to our military community. I'm curious why you think it's so important that you understand this concept personally and how it relates to supporting your job. So, um, as I said, I'm very passionate about our mill kids and our veterans specifically, and I think it all links back to identity. And I feel that, you know, the military is its own subculture, but within that subculture, we have so many different cultures and identities and giving children the language to express those and even adults, the language to express those and validate those identities and. Uh, be proud of them and show those unique things. It's just such an important piece and to be able to support our military kids in the best way. I think our professionals need to know this language and have this research and speakers like Ruth and all of her work is just, it's so critical to acknowledge that part that is such, I mean, your self identity is just everything revolves around it. And so I'm very excited to be here with Ruth. Well, we're excited to have uh, Dr. Van Rieken also on the show, and I thought that would be something a little bit different. I'm actually going to turn the mic over to Ashley so that she can talk to uh, Dr. Van Rieken. And Dr. Van Rieken, can't we call you Ruth? Please come in. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. So I'm going to go over to Ashley with the request that you guys at least help me figure out how my kids can finally answer that question, where am I? That is a stunning reality for most of us who grew up in different cultures and in different places and particularly for the military kids some of the ones i met here have moved 11 12 times and they're still in their teens and so when you say where are you from it's like which one how do i pick how do i choose and this is something that's very common to third culture kids which is a bigger group that military kids are part of those are kids who have gone with their parents to other cultures, and they don't live maybe like the first culture, maybe where the parents came from. They probably aren't living exactly like the people in that community or that country, but they are living in a way that's common to them and their peers, which for the military kids would be this military subculture. But still, the question of where are you from 
is complicated because of the mobility and it depends what people are asking. My husband always says to me, how do you find all these third culture kids? And I said, the minute I say, where are you from? And they go, well, um, it's a long story or it's complicated. Then I already always know I have one of some sort. So what I tell people is if you can help your kids think it through ahead of time, how do they want to answer it? Um, it can help them not feel so embarrassed sometimes because kids get sort of stuck with that. And if they want to tell their whole life story, they can tell it. But otherwise, you know, it could be simple. When people ask me now, I just say I live in Indianapolis because I've grown up in Africa and I've lived in the States and raised our kids in Liberia and different places. And so nobody usually asks me, well, what do you mean by that? Or where else have you lived? I just say I live in Indianapolis and that's enough. But if somebody said that to me, I would think you didn't really answer my question. So I'm going to ask you another question. So I think, it, you know, but just help them think through. It's not something's a matter with them. There's just, if they want to make it simple, they can. And uh, how are you going to answer that? I just have something that stood out to me in one of your previous talks here at MGS so far. And I felt it was just as a social worker background. And um, I, you know, a hot item right now is diversity and inclusion. And what does that really mean? Um, and what context and what identities and you brought up in your session that I just saw so many people in the audience just go, yes, exactly. Where you talked about hidden identities, those identities that are not easily identifiable from, you know, just looking at someone or if they are identified because someone self discloses. A lot of times they feel they're invalidated or misunderstood. You shared your own story about how you grew up and what you identified as and people questioning your, you know, what you self-identified. First, I just want to know why do we say that military dependent kids are those third culture kids and with that hidden diversity, why you think it's so important to highlight that? Well, first, military kids, I think it's important for them to know they are part of a larger group. Because the way globalization is happening, people are going to grow up all over the world with high mobility and cross-cultural interactions, which is the heart of the military kid experience. So the more we understand our story, the more we can use it out in a world where people are all complicated about who am I, because nobody's growing up in the sense the way people traditionally did. So the more I understand my story of somebody who grew up in Africa and came to the States, and I thought I was weird. But when I started to realize there was language for my story, and then I could see other people living it, it left me not so alone. There's a term that one sociologist talks about, our interculturalist Janet Bennett, she talks about sometimes kids wind up with a sense of terminal uniqueness. I'm so different, nobody can understand me. And that's not a good place to be, because then you're really isolated. So for military kids, if they think, no, I'm not actually unique. Uh, this is, there's, first, there's millions of us who do it. Secondly, I belong to a really larger, you know, group of people called third culture kids. And then beyond that, there's cross-cultural kids who are, you know, from all kinds of places. So when that experience happens, that's one thing for the child. But one of the things I think as a community, as a culture, as a global culture, there's all this diversity and inclusion, but nobody sees me. You know, I'm white, I speak American English, and so I look very traditional for, you know, most communities that would be here. Nobody sees the Africa me. Nobody knows when they look at me that I was born in Nigeria. 
that my whole life was lived there, that I've lived 20 years of my life in Africa, and that the African part of me is very strong and it's very connected, but nobody sees that. And so when I have to fill out those forms and check my boxes, I just check other a lot of times. And I think that when people don't put this into the equation, so many diversity programs are more on the visible, or like you said, if people self-disclose, but then they don't really understand how an experience among many cultures shapes you internal. And so when I came back to the States in eighth grade, it was pre-integration, so I looked like the other kids in my school in Chicago. And so they assumed I thought like them, but I hadn't a clue what was going on. I didn't know how to do the sports because we did different sports um, where I grew up. Party, they were going to have a social from my church, and they were going to go on a boat ride, and then we were going to go stop someplace. So I took $1.50 for the boat ride and 50 cents because I thought we were going to McDonald's. And when we got finished, they decided to go to a restaurant. And so I thought, oh, dear. So there was a hamburger for 50 cents. So I ordered that and a glass of water. Then the bill came, and it was 52 cents. I was so ashamed. Couldn't pay my bill. And all the kids around me, everybody knows there's tax. But I didn't know there was tax. I didn't remember it. It wasn't part of my second nature uh, to remember that. And so, you know, I had to go ask somebody for the money. And it was like this horrible shame. And when I put that story in the TCK book, the editor said, well, don't you think that's an extreme reaction for two cents? I said, it wasn't two cents. It was that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. It was that I was ignorant, that I was stupid, and that all the kids just thought, what's the matter with you? And I felt... What's the matter with me? So one reason I try to do what I do is because I want kids to understand their story and that hidden diversity, that place that was shaped differently than other people might expect or see. And there's reasons that other people might not understand why they don't get something or why they don't fit or, you know, how they see things differently. Yeah. So you were talking about basically community and family in place earlier in one of your, your lectures and talking about helping these third culture kids identify that sense of belonging and that balance of their cultures. And I think that's so important, but I also just wanted to know what you think are some of the gifts of growing up in this lifestyle as a highly mobile or cross-cultural third culture kid? I think that without one doubt, my biggest gift is that I have known friends and people of countless cultures and ethnicities, and they're still people. They're my friends. I see them first as people because uh, the details of our cultures are interesting after that. But the first thing is, I know that that person, they'd like to belong to, but they also need respect. I think my father, he grew up as a TCK in what was then Persia, now Iran, and my grandparents are buried there. And he was so strong on saying, don't ever ask somebody from a different race or culture or anything to do something you would do yourself because every person has the same value you do. And that was a very embedded reality for me so that when I see somebody, you know, and we were in Liberia and we went through the coup and stuff, when people are walking around with guns and shooting, it's not just me that's afraid, you know, it's everybody because nobody wants that. When you hear about stories of joy, you think, Yes, they can have joy for the same reason that I do. So I, I love the sense of belonging to communities that don't have the same exact story as I do, but they still share the same humanity. And then I can enjoy their cultures because I'm not afraid of them. 
I'm not afraid of where they're different because everybody wants to be in relationships. So we learn different ways to say hello. We have different ways we express our emotions. We have that, but the underlying thing is where we share likeness. So that to me is the thing that has made my life hugely wonderful. But I also appreciated like the physical things of seeing places, you know, that's made history more alive. I've gotten to go places that other people don't get to go. I certainly have friends all over the world, and that's fun too when you travel. You know, my life has been a gift in so, so many ways. My daughter, Mackenzie, who is 10 years old, she is very outgoing. She has many gifts and talents that I feel have been enhanced by her military lifestyle and moving so often. She is so excited to move to a new location often because the first thing she says is, I get to meet new people. I get to experience new things. I get to travel. And she just has this level of excitement that sometimes you wonder, is it because this is all she knows? <laughs> and this is a very positive thing. But then on the opposite end of that, I think it's important to make sure that I'm equipping her to have the language to acknowledge her experience fully. I always am strengths-based and I want growth mindset for my children but I also want to have them have an authentic experience and a holistic experience and honor the hard parts in that grief of leaving behind people or um, maybe having, she had a little bit of a loss of identity when her dad and I split up because she was no longer the kid on the base. And she was used to being the leader of the pack of her little peer group on post. And that kind of changed whenever we went back to the civilian world and she goes to dad's, you know, every other weekend and on long visits, but to her, she just felt an identity shift and to be able to have third culture kids and just that language is so important. But I wanted to know, what do you think some of the challenges are for third culture kids? In many ways, they're the opposite of the gifts. And the very fact that I had such a positive experience kept me from understanding the losses, because when you've loved something and you lose it, it's actually a big deal. And when people say, why do you talk about grief? I say, you know, you don't experience grief if you didn't love it. It's actually a positive emotion. So I was 39 before I put language on my losses. I had gone to boarding school at six. It's what everybody did. So yes, I understood. And so everybody was always positive about all the good things. And when I was 39, I finally thought there's a place in my life that's had this depression that most people don't see that I don't have any reason for. I can't understand it. I have no overt reason. I have a husband that loves me. I have three children I love. They love me. I've had this wonderful life. What is my problem? So I started to journal. Our daughter was going to leave us um, for a few months, and I had this reaction again. And so I thought, okay, it must have something to do with my leaving. And I began to journal what became my first book, Letters Never Sent, and started with my first night in boarding school. And suddenly I was feeling what my six-year-old felt. And somebody said, how did you remember all this? And I said, well, I re-experienced it. But somebody said, no, you let yourself experience it for the first time. When kids are in grief and that we can go through grief, despair, detachment, where first you feel the grief, not going to change. The only thing you can do is really detach from that grief. And that's what I had done. And so at 39, I went back and touched these griefs. And you can still grieve retrospectively. But what was important for me was to understand that the grief itself was 
positive, but there's reasons that it's not recognized. And unresolved grief is the number one thing that I see as a problem for the adult in their 30s and 40s and 50s. And they're living with some kind of depression. They're living with a lot of anger. They're living with a lot of broken relationships, whatever it is, because they never went back and mourned. You know, when we have somebody die, we go through a funeral process. We mourn it and we acknowledge it. We look at it. We go on. But so many losses for us are hidden. Even what you're saying about your daughter not getting to live on base. What does that mean? Well, it, it's an identity issue. Like you just said, that was a great example. And so for me, when I was um, 39, I realized my world had died at 13. Because I took an airplane ride. And when the door closed, every friend I had, every tree I had, every market I went, every smell that meant home to me, every all those sights and sounds, they were gone. But it wasn't officially my home. I'm going to go back to America. And so that's my quote unquote home. And we haven't learned how to live in paradox that you can be both happy for all the good things and yet sad for the losses. And so this is a paradoxical life. And saying that these things are hard doesn't mean that wasn't good. And saying this was good doesn't mean that wasn't hard. And so that to me has been a really big deal to live in the both end of my story. May I say about COVID? There's the same kind of thing. I've never seen more about grief than since COVID came. At the beginning, people said to me, why do you talk about grief? It's so negative. And all of a sudden, in these last two years, I've seen all these things about grief because when COVID came, we all wound up in an unknown place. We never got to say goodbye. And that's why saying goodbye is so important. So people can really process it in the doing of the story, not just at the end. And so I watched COVID and think, this is really a transition story that nobody's identifying as transition, but they are experiencing the grief of loss because we all kind of lost our lives as they were. That's absolutely great. And just to further that for myself, you know, how can parents help our children honor those both sides and give them that language and that ability and support them best to, to deal with those challenges, but also use their gifts? I think if we understand the two biggest challenges that people get stuck on are identity and then the attachment disorder, you know, that I afraid to attach be and which goes along with the grief. If we understand what creates the problems, then how do we fix them or how do we help to do it? That's a great question. For the identity, I always say to parents, the main, main, main identity that child has is the family identity because that is the mobile one. That one goes with you no matter where you are. And so many TCKs, when I say, where is home? Where is home is a different question than where you're from. Where is home is where I'm emotionally at rest. So many say to me, wherever my parents are. And that becomes their home. It isn't a geographical answer. It's an emotional answer. So parents, one way you do it, how do you create family identity? Number one, family traditions. Um, what are the things that we do as this family? We always have a certain bread. We always have a certain plate. We always have a certain something. And when we move, we still have that thing. We have that thing. So the portable traditions, you know, some traditions are rooted in a place. But what is it you can take that it doesn't matter where you go in the world? Also, keeping contact with the extended family is important because we belong to this kind of tribe. And sometimes that gets cut off. I think in today's world, it's a little bit easier. So I think that's really huge is that parents 
also be affirming. They have to understand before the kids are TCKs or military kids, they're kids. And what they need is what every kid does. They need love. They need affirmation. They need support. The kid's a kid. And all those things, you know, are really important. And then what you guys are doing with the mentors, that wherever people go to school, there's somebody that's receiving them that says, you matter, you belong. And we also want to explore who are you? What are your gifts? What are your gifts you bring to the school? Some kids, maybe if they're sports stars, it's easy. They can go be a star. But if somebody's a quiet artist or somebody's a great mathematician, they may not see that. But people who are working in the schools and working with the kids and for parents, what is it this child brings to us? And what is it we can help them to become part of our community? Because that's what kids want more than anything. It's we just want to belong. The other thing is when schools have really strong transition programs. Mm -hmm. And so, especially when they're living in high mobility areas, like international schools, but also I think your DOD schools and these schools where a lot of no kids go. How do you put even into the school culture programs that say goodbye well, programs that say hello well? And that's what you guys are working on, which I'm most impressed about while I'm being here. I'm, I'm very impressed with what you're doing. Thank you. Well, thank you. Yes, and so actually that is a big part of my role with MSEC and the role of the community coordinators. Our primary focus is obviously on our students and then secondly on our, our parents, but our professionals as well. And we want to make sure that we are offering the, the best knowledge and um, resources that we can possibly offer and that they're accessible to them and that we are advocating for those Purple Star School Partnerships. We want schools to be equipped to receive those third culture kids and our milk kids. And I believe that even with this training, it is so applicable to so many different identities and so many different cross-culture kids that it could have such an impact on so many children. And so, like many things, the military kids often lead the way, you know, because we, we have to adapt to them and what they need. And I think it's just such an exciting opportunity that while we're going out there, one, to, to make sure our milk kids are supported, that we are equipping those schools to receive them. And that, in turn, helps their entire student population be accepting and embracing all of these gifts and identities that they have in their communities. There's no question. It's also teaching the school how to receive the immigrant child, mm -hmm. the refugee child, the child who's come from any other culture for whatever reason. And that's what I mean about why it's so important to understand you belong to a bigger whole, because mm -hmm. then your lessons are applicable. We're living in the middle of a social experiment that's never been done before, where military did this for a long time, but now the whole world is doing it. And so you have these skill sets, you have the understanding to share. And as you share it with the teachers and the educators and all that, you're gifting the school with a different capacity. There's a book called Safe Passage for anybody who is interested in school transition programs uh, that would go along with what you're talking about. But how does a school build a transition program so that you can say goodbye well and then you can, you know, say hello well in different schools? And it's a very detailed outline of how schools can do to establish a school-wide program. And that would go along. I mean, it's probably stuff you're already doing, but I'm just thinking in terms of enlarging the vision and uh, you can add to them too, because that's what dialogue's about. Absolutely. Is that you're learning things here instead of staying in your corner. They're learning things there instead of staying in their corner with the international schools. How do we 
actually do it for global education. <laughs> Absolutely. Because every school in the world pretty soon is mobile, has mobility. Yes. All those things. And ultimately it's all for the children. Yes, it is all yes. for the children. As I said in the talk this morning, I have seen what difference it makes when people see the child and not see them as a problem because they're scared and they're acting out doing whatever they do. I have a story of one of my friends who's Japanese and came to the States. So it's not military, but it's where the application comes. And so she didn't know, people didn't know, she didn't understand that uh, they were taking gym because in Japan they got their clothes changed and they went someplace else. And she didn't know why these kids were already around in the lunchroom. But I said, somebody ever do something that you remember positive? She said, the lunchroom lady. Every day she held me chocolate milk and white milk. And every day she let me choose. And every day I picked the chocolate milk. And every day she let me choose. And she said, I knew she saw me. She didn't speak my language. I didn't speak hers, but I knew she saw me as the child. And that changed everything for me that I was seen. Because so many people, if they don't speak a language or they're new or they're the no kid who's just come in and they're going to leave again. It's almost like they're not worth seeing because they're not there or something. When you can see the child, when you can affirm the child, when you can give the child the mentor that you guys do. So they don't sit alone that first day at the lunchroom. It changes everything. But the ones who sit alone remember it forever. So I really appreciate what you guys are doing. Well, we really appreciate you coming and speaking to us and just sharing your wealth of knowledge. That is absolutely what IMSEC is all about. You know, we are a professional coalition. We do not plan to go out and reinvent the wheel. We want to bring together the subject matter experts and the people who, you know, just can come to the table and, and, and share their own experiences and their own work. And we can put that out and to help our kids. Ladies, thank you both for coming on the show today. I really appreciate your time, your passion, your energy that has been devoted to all children and certainly to our military community. And for our listeners, all resources that were mentioned today, we will include in the show's notes. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I find Dr. Van Recken's stories not only very entertaining, but also very applicable to our community. I think it's such a great podcast, not only for our military families, but also for those that serve our kids. If you're interested in learning more about Third Culture Kids, we do have a few other podcasts that we will share in the show's notes. You've been listening to the MSEC Podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. We'd like to thank again the Kiesler Spouses Club for supporting today's episode. Until next time, live a great story.